Well, hello there, and welcome to the Exam Room Podcast brought to you by the Physicians Committee. Hi, I am the weight loss champion, Chuck Carroll. Thanks so much for giving the show a listen this week, a view, a download. You know the drill, whether you're listening on Spotify or Apple Podcast or Stitcher or watching the show on YouTube. We appreciate the fact that you are taking time out of your day to join us. And we start this show with a question. Have you heard about the health benefits of fish? Well, of course you have. Everyone has. Those fish oils, man, they are all up and down the aisles of stores. They say that they're good for your heart. They're great for the eyes. And of course, fish is the ultimate brain food. Or is it? Hmm. That's what we're going to be looking into on this week's episode. Is fish all it's cracked up to be? Or is there something fishy about those claims? Dr. Neil Barnard is going to be joining me to weigh in on this very topic. And as always, he's coming armed with a host of studies, tons of research that has been conducted on this very topic. We're going to get to the bottom of everything, including including those all-important omega-3s. Then registered dietitian Maggie Neola, she's going to be here. She's going to make her return to the show. And if you don't know, Maggie is a foodie through and through. And maybe you're like me. Maybe you grew up eating fish and really enjoyed it before you went plant-based. Well, here in the Washington, D.C. area, I got to tell you, this is crab country. The Chesapeake Bay is right here. And Maryland is famous for its blue crabs. So you might be saying to yourself, hey, I could go vegan, but I would really miss those crab cakes. Maybe with a little bit of Old Bay sprinkled on top. Hmm? No worries, my friend, because just like hamburgers and hot dogs and even barbecue, there are plant-based recipes that are as good as the original, and in some cases, even better. So you don't have to give up the cakes just because you give up the crab. But before we get to any of that, before we get to any of that, I want to let you know that today's episode is being brought to you by the Gregory J. Ryder Memorial Fund, and we cannot thank them enough for their support. And this is such an incredible fund that is truly doing such extraordinary work. The fund supports organizations that carry on Greg Ryder's passion and his love for animals through rescue efforts and veganism and wildlife conservation. I encourage you right now to please visit GregoryRyderFund.org. That's Gregory, R-E-I-T-E-R, Fund.org. That's R-E-I-T-E-R fund.org to learn more about Greg's story, about animal issues, and subscribe to the fund's newsletter. You can also find a link to that website on the show notes for this very episode. Time now to talk fish here on the exam room, and we start by going angling for answers with Dr. Neil Barnard. Continuing here on the Exam Room Podcast, brought to you by the Physicians Committee with the weight loss champion, Chuck Carroll. Today's topic is one that is really, there's a lot of debate about it. Dr. Barnard, welcome back to the show, first and foremost. Thank you so much for taking the time. Good to be back, Chuck. I grew up in Tidewater, Virginia, surrounded by water, and my uncle was a commercial fisherman. 
fish was just a part of life. It is a way of life down there. And I was brought up always thinking that fish was so healthy. And I think millions of us are under the same impression. Not necessarily true, though, correct? Well, people have imagined that if I'm eating the fish instead of the beef, the white meat instead of the red meat, so to speak, that maybe there won't be so much cholesterol in it, won't be so much of the bad fat in it. Uh, Maybe there'll even be some good fat, the omega-3s. And I have to say that these claims have really crashed and burned uh, when we we do research studies. Uh, Depending on the type of fish, it may be even higher in fat, maybe even higher in cholesterol than the beef, and it does not seem to prevent disease. So... Hopefully, we'll be able to get into all of those things. That, that is really interesting. I want to talk to you about the, the various types of fats because, yeah, it's, you know, let's start with salmon, right? You, you're told, eat your salmon. You know, it's good brain food, and it's got all this healthy fat in there. The healthy fat, doesn't that come along with some unhealthy fats as well? Well, that's the problem. Um, first of all, people are told... Uh, there's omega-3 in salmon, and it's a fatty fish, so that's what you want because it's got the, the good fats in it. But there's several things wrong with that. The first thing is most of the fat that's in salmon is not good fat. Mm. It's just a big load of – it's a variety of different kinds of fat. It's some saturated fat, some unsaturated fat. But the omega-3 is is – is, is not most of it. Um, so if a person is eating the salmon in hopes of getting some healthy omega-3, they get a whole lot of unhealthy fat that's just a big, dense calorie source, and they're going to have trouble with their weight. But then re- regarding heart healthfulness, let's say I take Chinook salmon and I compare it to beef or something like that. What I'm worried about is getting away from the saturated fat in the beef. A mm-hmm. uh, couple of numbers. Um, if I have 100 grams, which is about... Uh, not quite four ounces, of roast beef, 3.4 grams of saturated fat. If I have Chinook salmon, it brings it down to 3.2. Cholesterol, 83 milligrams of cholesterol in the beef. In the Chinook salmon, 85. Wow. Um, So on the other hand, if I had beans or I had brown rice or I had broccoli or sweet potatoes or things from plants, their cholesterol content now drops to zero and their saturated fat just about zero. You actually brought a chart with yeah. these numbers, right? I, I brought a chart. In fact, uh, maybe we could share it with people. Absolutely. That um, the numbers are, are really quite striking that for all the animal products, but especially the beef, the chicken, the, the fish, you see a lot of saturated fat. They've all got a lot of cholesterol. Plants, you see a whole lot of zeros there and almost zero for the saturated fat. Man, that- um, that's a, that's a big difference there, a huge difference. Well, and the other thing is is when we look at, well, what just happens to the people who actually do this? Where do they get? And we've seen really interesting data from the Seventh-day Adventist studies. Mm-hmm. And the Adventists have been studied for a long time. They've been put under the microscope for one reason, and that is their church teachings say you're supposed to be healthy. And kind of an emphasis on vegetarian diets. Some follow it, some don't. But they're almost all non-smokers, health-conscious people. So it gives you a, nat- a natural experiment right. of people who are following different kind of diets, but in a health-conscious way. So, in fact, let me give you this. Yeah. Um, this is from the Adventist Health Study 2. They had almost 61,000 people, and they showed people in following different kinds of diets, and they looked at their weight. And the red line on the left is the body mass index of meat-eaters, then occasional meat eaters, less than once a week. And then the tan line in the middle there is the fish eaters. They don't eat any meat except for fish. Then the green line, ovo-lacto-vegetarian. Right. And the blue line, vegan. And what you say, what you see is that the people who have thrown out all the meat except for fish, they do do better sure. than the people who are eating any kind of meat 
every day. But the people who throw out the fish, too, do better, and the people who also throw out the dairy products do by, by far the best of all. And so that's body mass index. In other words, your weight. Weight, right. When it comes to diabetes, it gets scary because that's where the fish eaters do better than the people who eat meat every day, mm -hmm. but they don't do anything like a person following a vegan diet. They're sort of halfway between. So the message that I get is that if a person has tossed out all the meat and fish is the only meat that they're eating and they do that in modest proportions, they will do better than the person who is eating meat all the time. Yeah. They will not do nearly as well as the person who's eating uh, only plant products. And, and that's because that fatty fish, it's like a sponge loaded with grease that's very calorie-dense, and it's going to make it hard for you to keep off the weight. And if, if you're just listening to this podcast, you're not watching it on YouTube or on Facebook or Instagram, wherever it is that, that you get this fine show at, uh, I, really, that chart that you were holding up, it looks like a perfect set of stairs, you know, working your way from left to right, you know, starting with, uh, with the meat eaters and then down to the vegan diet. It right. just goes dink, 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 dink all the way down. The more you get the animal products out of your diet, the better people do with regard to body weight and diabetes. And it's also pretty much true for, for, for many other conditions as well. And so for all those people who thought, well, I'll eat meat, but in moderation. Mm -hmm. Fair enough. You know, that's, that's a step in the right direction, but not a very big, <laughs> not a very big step. It's, it's not enough. It's a, it's a good start. How about that? It's a start. You know, yeah, it's, exactly. a, it's a start. It's a start. Um, so the fish oils, I mean, the health benefits, the claims there, I mean, it it almost seems like it's a cure-all from A to Z of what ails you, you know? So we've talked about diabetes and we've talked a little bit about heart disease. The other big thing that it really gets talked about, going back to the A's, is Alzheimer's. People think that the omega-3s, those fish oils, are really beneficial when it comes to cognitive impairment. What do we know there? Well, people have been very hopeful because um, up until recently, people haven't had a lot of things to say to prevent Alzheimer's. But, of course, you and I have talked about this with our Power Foods for the Brain, mm -hmm. where there's a lot you can do by changing your diet. But the idea was, okay, omega-3, simple commercial product. You take it, you eat it. Will it reduce your risk of Alzheimer's? Uh, the first studies took people who had Alzheimer's. No benefit. Mm. It, really no benefit. And then they did studies on individuals who were at the first stages uh, of memory loss and Alzheimer's. And so, can we slow this process down so you don't get into Alzheimer's? No benefit. Really, really not working. Um, and the jury is out as to whether somebody like you or I, uh, a person who is, isn't hopefully not anywhere near that, if you're taking omega-3 now, year after year, decade after decade, will it change things when you hit age 85 or 90? Nobody knows. Um, we just really have no idea about that. So, unfortunately, there's been huge promotion of omega-3s, largely based on the fact that it's another commercial product. Right. Um, and the claims for the heart, frankly, they were dismissed very, very early on. Um, and the Alzheimer's... Uh, claims have, have not yet held up. But I think we need to see more about what happens for people who are taking these for a very long time. I, it's hard to know if there'll be a, a benefit. Okay. okay. Interesting. More research. That's, you know, side note, that's really what I enjoy about working in this field is that there's always new research coming and you're constantly learning. And I just love that. I love that. Every day coming in here, it's like going to school. It's fantastic. Well, sometimes the news can be disturbing. Sure. Um, and with regard to omega-3 supplements, we found something quite disturbing, and that's prostate cancer. Um, early on, it looked like people 
here's what you do. You take people in a research study and you give some of them some omega-3s that you got from fish. Mm -hmm. And you give others a placebo and you just see who does better. Or you just track people's diets and you see who's got the most fish oil in their diet and who's got the least and you see how they do. And the study started to show, A, it wasn't really helping, but B, men seemed to have a higher risk of prostate cancer if they were getting more omega-3. And when I say omega-3... Uh, for any biochemists out there, these are the long-chain fatty acids, DHA mm-hmm. or EPA. The men who had the most of these in their diet tended to have the highest prostate cancer risk. We thought, all right, well, wait a minute. Um, probably a fluke because these are health-conscious guys. That's why they're taking omega-3 or that's why they're eating fish. And they're just getting their prostates checked more often. So we're just finding cancer more. Well, it wasn't it. Uh, there have been more studies and more studies, and it's, it's showing up consistently. And in 2013, Ohio State researchers really looked at these data a lot. And they didn't just look at what you were eating, but they actually looked at blood levels. You, you take blood samples right? because the, the omega-3s will actually get into your red blood cells. And you could take samples and you could say, you have been eating this. You have not, b- based on blood levels. And what they reported was, effectively, they said, we didn't, we, didn't, we didn't have a mechanism for why this should cause cancer. So we wanted to discount it, but we can't. Um, we are seeing that men who have the most omega-3 have the most prostate cancer. We still don't know why, but we've seen it so many times now that I have become quite convinced that there's an increased risk. Now, how big is that increased risk? Uh, the estimates range between about a 14% increased risk to about a 43% increased risk. Both of those are bad. Right. Be- because um, prostate cancer is really common. If you've got a cancer that's rare and you increase it by 43%, 43% of something that's really rare is not big. But 43% of something extremely common, that's a lot. Right. So um, where does that leave us? Would it affect your brain uh, in, a, in a positive way? No evidence that it does yet. Um, are there th- theoretical reasons to suggest that it should? Yeah, there are. Um, it's not working yet, but it might. Um, but will it increase cancer risk? Maybe. Um, I should mention that if a person's going, going to supplement with DHA, in the past several years, you can get vegan DHA. Really? Yeah. You go online, um, DHA, EPA. It's f- derived from algae. It's clean. doesn't make you smell like a fish. <laughs> um, <laughs> Won't stick up the kitchen. Good right. Exactly. Will, will it cause prostate cancer? Will it, will it protect your brain? My guess is that it will do exactly the same thing that fish oils will do, which right. is which is a lot of nothing. Um, but who knows? Yeah. Further research needed. That's good to know. Um, prostate cancer we were talking about in men. What about maybe breast cancer? Has there been any research on the link between fish and breast cancer? Don't know. Um, the, the, the issue with fish, it probably, I am guessing that the typical fats that are in it will not prevent breast cancer at all, but that the link with breast cancer is probably from the fact that the fish live in what is effectively the human sewer. Um, What I mean is that sewage and industrial waste gets into the waterways. Fish are mobile. They're swimming around. Um, And the little fish that is feeding off the ocean floor or the bottom of a river picks up contaminants that are then concentrated as the little fish is eaten by bigger fish. Mm -hmm. So when you get something really big like a tuna, that's where the mercury and the other chemicals concentrate in a big way. And so when people are thinking about cancer risk, they're thinking about chemicals that came in from the fish counter. 
So then let's switch gears then. I would assume then as the waterways become increasingly polluted, then you know that too is problematic if you're going to be consuming fish because the little fish are eating the things on the bottom. Those fish get eaten by other fish and then bigger fish and then that fish winds up on your plate. Oh, yes. And, and that battle was lost a long time ago. Um, obviously, the fish farms, if, if anybody has, has seen these things, uh, fish farms are disgusting. Um, they cram a whole lot of fish into a fenced area of the ocean, and they have enormous numbers of fish in them, and they throw in antibiotics just like you would on a, on on land on, on on a livestock farm. Right, right. Um, the fish are living in each other's waste, and, and it's it's horrible. And uh, and the wild caught wild caught fish, um, what people sort of didn't count on is that waterways carry pollutants. Even I mean. It, to the extreme north, to the extreme south, all over the place. So um, these fish species, um, what really makes them unhealthy is the bigger they are, the more small fish they've been eating. Right, right. So when you see something in the store that says farm-raised salmon or farm-raised whatever, that's what you're talking about. They've been corralled and thrown in water that has a bunch of antibiotics and who knows what else in there, right? It's disgusting if you see it. There's a a film coming up, which I I, want to mention. It's called Artificial. And it's all about fish hatcheries and, and fish uh, farms. And if you think, how could a person make a film about that and have it be interesting? It's riveting to see all the expectations that people have had for these ways of producing a clean, healthy fish and sustainable fish and how incredibly disgusting it has become. So fish is, for, for people who thought, I don't want to eat pork, I don't want to eat beef, I don't want to eat that dirty chicken carcass, fish is in that category too. You don't really think about that. Like you're kind of aware at this point that the marketing for, you know, dairy is is misleading and that you always see these pictures of nice green open pastures and a happy cow off in the corner and then you see the conditions that they're actually being kept in are horrendous. People don't necessarily think about that though when it comes to fish. This is interesting now that there's going to be a documentary. Uh, yeah, and and it's it's quite amazing. I, I happened I, I was lucky enough to see a uh, an early release version of it, and it is astounding. You put on your scuba gear, and you go sidle up to one of these fish farms, and they are jammed in like veal calves, just one on top of the other, top of the other, top of the other. And you look at the side of them, and here's a big fungal infection. You think, I didn't even know fish even get a fungal infection. Or they have sores and cuts, and, and that's because they're all jammed in, and they're urinating, and, you know, I mean, they're putting out their wastes the way the fish do, I should say. Um, and the other ones are swallowing it and, and, and eating this, and it's a, just a disgusting thing. And, and downstream from there, there are enormous environmental problems from yeah. this. And it's all the wishful thinking that give me some meat that I can eat. Uh, that's yeah, right. kind of the, that's the, the wishfulness that people have had. But as a person who gave all that up, um, you realize that when you eat foods from plants, there are still issues that you want to think about choosing the best ones. But your foods are dramatically cleaner. Right. than they would be if it's fish or chicken or something like that. Right. And you think about how dirty a fish tank can become if you have just a few fish in there. And now you're talking about these massive fish farms that have hundreds, thousands of fish in there. I mean, that's got to be some pretty dirty water. Um, you got it. That, 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 that's, that's, that, that's, that's exactly it. And that's exactly what it looks like. It's this murky stuff that, that uh, obviously they're, they're swallowing. 
before I hope, we, I hope we're cheering everybody up. With this um, yeah, I've got a huge smile on my face right now. <laughs> uh, goodness gracious. Uh, all right. So before we turn frowns upside down, let's focus on one more thing that's pretty serious. Uh, pregnant women, should they be eating fish? What do we know about any risks there? Okay. Well, the um, Centers for Disease Control and Prevention have issued warnings for many years um, saying that if you're pregnant, you, you, there, are number, there are many concerns, but the number one concern they have had has been mercury. And so for, their, for that, it has to do with fish size, like tuna and swordfish, these things you want to avoid. Um, however, if you look just broadly across the range of uh, other kinds of fish mm-hmm. and other kinds of animal products too, when women avoid them completely, their chemical load is dramatically lower. And the interesting way of discovering this is after women have given birth, you say, let me just take some breast milk. And you take the breast milk, you send it to the lab, and you look for all kinds of things that could have been in the fish or could have been in dairy products that people, you know, because the cow is often filled with contaminants. And so you look at PCBs. You look at dioxins. You look at you look at mercury and, and other metals, and it's there is just no overlap. The the people who are eating animal products, including fish, um, have quite high contamination of their breast milk compared to women who have been on plant based diets for a number of years. Um, with very few exceptions, they have far cleaner breast milk. Now, that of course is important for the breastfeeding baby, but what it really is is a sign for mom. Because what that means is mom is unloading her toxins into her breast milk. Mm-hmm. Her breastfeeding baby gets about a third of her total body load of dioxin straight into the baby. That's right. Yeah. But let's say she's not a mom. She's got this in her, in her own body. So the, sh- the short answer, and forgive me for how long-winded I've been, Chuck, but um, government has long said that women who are pregnant should be cautious about their fish consumption and I would argue that that they just should avoid it entirely. Yeah, yeah. Um, and they have, they have come up with, they, said, they tried to water it down and say, well, yeah, yes, mercury is bad for you, the contaminants are bad, but the omega-3 is good and, and so what do we do? Well, th- the answer is eat green leafy vegetables. Um, they have a healthy kind of omega-3 in them that, that your body can deal with and avoid all the fried foods and greasy fats that interfere with the enzymes that will elongate those mm-hmm. healthy omega-3s. What do we know as far as uh, curveball here for you, as far as contaminants found in you know, your, your regular swimmy fish versus your shellfish? Or does anyone contain a higher level? Uh, you know, the, sh- the shellfish are bottom, bottom feeders, and they're sitting around kind of taking in whatever is there. Um, they're interesting in a couple of ways. Um, some of the shellfish have an extraordinarily high cholesterol content. It's like an egg on the on the ocean floor. Wow. Uh, mobile shellfish in particular. Uh, we've known this with shrimp and others. Um, but, yeah, they have just a huge cholesterol content. And, yes, they're, uh, they're living in dirty water, um, and they are accumulating what swims by. Hmm. All right. Well, let's talk about something a little bit more happy, <laughs> shall we? Um, your books are always super, super fascinating. Uh, I mean, if you look to your left here, you see a you know shelf full of the cheese trap, and you. you're uh, reversing diabetes and all of that good. And right behind the power foods for the brain. How about that? Thank you. Um, check out that episode, by the way. Uh, you have another one coming up very soon, correct? It's called Your Body in Balance, and the reason that I wrote this book is a number of years ago we did a research study on 
on just garden variety menstrual cramps, women who had pain every month. And I started to realize that this had to do with excess estrogen activity mm-hmm. that was affecting the uterine function. And we found that we could change that by adding more fiber to the diet, cutting fat content, and certain other changes that are pretty simple to make. And so cramps went down. But from that launching pad, we started looking at all kinds of hormonal things, endometriosis, PCOS, menopausal symptoms in women who are, who are at menopause and they're having hot flashes that are driving them crazy, in men, erectile dysfunction or, or, or hormone-related cancers. And the power that we have from food is just so exciting, I think in large part because it's completely unexpected. Yeah, right. You know, nobody thought that any of that stuff, you know, yeah, your heart attack, <laughs> that's related to what you ate, but not, not cramps. Right. Not, not whether you have a baby or not, but the answer is bingo. Let's let's put this to work. Um, foods have a huge role in there, and I got super excited. And and one of the fun things about it is that I worked with Lindsay Nixon, who you may know. Uh, she's a wonderful uh, cookbook author and food developer, and she wrote all the recipes for the book. So it's really cool. Outstanding. And that's uh, that's going to be due out in February. So I know it's going to be a little bit while, right. but I wanted to put that on everyone's radar because that's that's a really exciting one. And I think, you know, just to really put an, another thing out there, uh, we're going to wind up doing a uh, probably a series of shows uh, all about that because you're going to cover so many different things in that book. I mean, it's just a wealth of material. Well, I'm eager for people to get this word out there and also for doctors because doctors will I, – I have never gotten over this um, – there's a young woman who, who I know, and hopefully you'll have her on the show, whose doctor said, you know, your endometriosis is terrible. Um, that's why you're suffering. That's why you're infertile, da, 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 da. I know you're young, but let's have a hysterectomy. You know, you, got, you need a hysterectomy. Mm-hmm. And at the kind of the last minute before her surgery, she said, wait a minute, let, let me just try a diet change. She went on the diet changes that we recommend. Her endometriosis rather rapidly resolved entirely. Um, she now has three children, you know, so no, no, no infertility, no pain, no nothing. So anyway, there are lots of women like that who need this message and doctors who need to have that message too. And we need to put some research in there too because there's still a lot of questions, but it's, it's super exciting. Outstanding. All right. So your body imbalance coming out in February. Can't, uh, can't wait for that. And uh, I know I'm really looking forward to putting together that series of podcasts. Uh, and uh, International Conference on Nutrition and Medicine, we're going to do uh, probably a show next week on that. Um, so maybe we can have you back for a couple minutes just to talk about that. That's also super exciting. You said doctors. We're going to have a whole hotel full of them cramming in there. Yeah, we've been doing this since uh, 2013, and every year it's just a life-changing experience for these folks. It's super exciting to see. July 26th and 27th, I'm going to call it a special preview day on July 25th. Check out pcrm.org slash ICNM. I know that's a lot of letters. pcrm.org slash ICNM. That's the place to uh, pick up your tickets. We would love to see you there. We'll be doing live episodes of the show there as well. Can't wait to see you there, Dr. Barnard. I'm looking forward to it. Thanks for coming. Thank you, Chuck. Many thanks to Dr. Neil Barnard for joining us on the show today. Lots of interesting points that he raised. As always, the man just comes armed with information. So those fish oils, I found it interesting that the study he referenced showed men who consumed the most omega-3s had the higher rates of prostate cancer. And then those findings subsequently confirmed in other studies kind of paints those health claims about fish in a new light, doesn't it? If you're curious about something or have a follow-up question, 
don't be shy. Reach out and ask. Hit us up on Twitter or Instagram using the hashtag exam room podcast. You can tweet me or message me on IG at Chuck Carroll WLC. That's Carroll with two R's and two L's, the WLC standing for weight loss champion. And of course, the show and the physicians committee on Twitter at PCRM and on Instagram spelled out this time at physicians committee. I also want to let you know that my conversation with Dr. Barnard today was brought to you by the Gregory J. Ryder Memorial Fund. Extraordinary people there. The fund supports organizations that carry on Greg's passion and his love for animals through rescue efforts and veganism and wildlife conservation. Visit GregoryRyderFund.org. That's Gregory, R-E-I-T-E-R, Fund.org to learn more about Greg's story and about animal issues and... While you're there, subscribe to their newsletter. You can find a link to that website in the show notes for this very episode. Still to come, how to keep some of your favorite fish dishes while on a plant-based diet. Don't have to give them up. Dietitian Maggie Neola, she is putting the finishing touches on some of those delicious vegan recipes and some ideas as we speak. But while she's doing that... I have some exciting news for you. Yes, you. A special offer, as it were, coming up July 26th and 27th, right here in beautiful Washington, D.C. Hundreds of doctors, nurses, dietitians, and plant-based enthusiasts all going to be converging on the Grand Hyatt Hotel for the International Conference on Nutrition in Medicine. And a bunch of exam room listeners, they're also going to be there. We're going to be taping live episodes of the show while dozens of the top names in the medical community share their latest findings on the link between diet and health. Dr. Barnard, he's going to be there. Maggie Niola, she's going to be there. Dr. Dean Ornish, he's going to be there. Dr. Robert Osfeld, he's going to be there presenting his research on how your heart is affected by what you eat. And I want you to be there too. So here is a special offer for exam room listeners to save big on the cost of a ticket. And if you haven't already signed up, all you need to do is just enter the code NutritionRx when you register at PCRM.org slash ICNM. You enter that, you're going to save 20% off the cost of admission. That code again, NutritionRx. Enter that and save 20%. Dr. Barnard and I hope to see you there, but hurry because those tickets and this deal, they're not going to last forever. Continuing right along here on the Exam Room Podcast, brought to you by the Physicians Committee with the weight loss champion Chuck Carroll, sitting now across the table from registered dietitian, personal friend, and uh, somebody who is no stranger to the exam room, Miss Maggie Neola. Welcome back to the show. Thank you, Chuck. We are talking about all things fish today. This is the fishy episode, and just talking with Dr. Barnard. He gave us all of the reasons in the world why we really should be eliminating fish from our diet. But what if, Maggie, what if, say, somebody, we'll call him Chuck, grew up around the water, mm -hmm. had an uncle who was a commercial fisherman, ate a ton of fish growing up, absolutely loved seafood, but is 100% committed to a plant-based diet? Mm-hmm. They're going to need are, some help. Are there some fish, quote-unquote, recipes that this person may enjoy? There certainly are. There are certain recipes that can be 
fishy smelling, um, have a similar texture, flavor, but not actually come from an animal, fish. Um, so fishy, fishy smelling. How can you? I, I mean, I know that you know the the cool thing about the plant based diet is replicating flavors, but now yeah. you're talking about replicating smell. Yep, totally smell. So seaweed, for example, is a plant. Mm. Kind of smells like fish in some respect because fish eat seaweed. A lot of them do. Right. Um, so that can kind of give this reminiscent seaweed smell. I actually served seaweed rolls to some people at one point and they didn't like it because they were so used to not having fish. Oh, wow. <laughs> it was too close to like that fishy smell for them. Wow. Okay. Yeah. What, the seaweed, is that like a sushi roll? Just with no, it was basically like a hummus wrap, but instead of using a tortilla as the wrap, I used nori, like roasted nori. Yeah. It's like a seaweed sheet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and that was the, the holder for the uh, wrap. Yeah. Okay, I'm assuming it wasn't like the really thin and delicate nori because like the one that i've gotten in the past from uh the store it's like it you know if you bend it just the slightest little bit it'll break but you're you're wrapping with that yeah no no it totally works um yeah, maybe it depends on which one, one you got <laughs> I, I don't know i mean it's it, you know think of those seaweed snacks that you can get right it was the yeah, same kind of there's thicker texture. ones out there okay mm-hmm. good to know did yeah. you have to soak it in water first or anything Mm-mm, it's not that thick it's mm. just a little thicker than the seaweed mm-hmm. snacks you mm-hmm. find. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right. I'm going to do some investigating. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, anyway, so um, some of my favorites uh, were shrimp. Absolutely love shrimp. Mm-hmm. Um, I was a huge fan of crabs growing up uh, on the Chesapeake Bay, by and large. You mm-hmm. know, Chesapeake blue crabs, man. I mean, that is a big deal around here, right? Mm. Um, but sushi. I got introduced to sushi at a young age. Mm-hmm. Loved it. Okay. Absolutely love it. Yeah. There's so you really whole, liked that. I, I'm a big fan of the sushi. Yep. Somebody who's going plant-based says, I can't live without the sushi. You have something for them. Yeah, absolutely. So sushi, one, is really pretty, right? So it it's got all these different colors. Usually the green nori is on the outside mm-hmm. with the rice, and then usually it's the raw fish inside of it. Sometimes with, like, carrots and avocados maybe. Yeah. Um, but a lot of different sushi places now have a veggie roll, whether it has, like, the avocado inside with the carrots and maybe, like, cream cheese, but that's not plant-based um, most of the time at a traditional restaurant, unless you're going to a vegan sushi place. Right. There's a good one in New York um, called Beyond Sushi. Okay. Really fun one to check out. Okay. Anyway, um, so there's a number of ways you can make sushi and put different vegetables inside instead. And again, that nori is going to help with the flavor. Um, But shiitake mushrooms in particular, I think, are really fun to include inside because they kind of have a texture, like a weird texture. Have you ever had a shiitake mushroom before? I have. I'm I'm a fan of the They're kind of chewy. chewy, Yeah. 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 And so fish is kind of chewy. It can be. Yeah. Um, So similar thing. If you use that instead of the fish, it works really well. We probably would cook it. I don't know. I've never made it, but. Okay. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. And and I would imagine that a shiitake mushroom also, uh, in my experience, like it can absorb the spice, the the flavor that you're cooking with very well. So Mm -hmm. you may not necessarily get that mushroomy flavor with it. Right. whatever kind of spice you're Any kind of marinade you want to put it in. Yeah. That's good good to know. Mm -hmm. Um, I know that you've um, pulled some other recipes here. One that kind of piqued my interest was, and, you know, a lot of people like tempura. I'm not a big fan because it's fried. Me neither. But this recipe here that you sent, and and I think that we can adapt this and make it not fried, Mm -hmm. is actually a sweet potato roll. 
Mm-hmm. You know, like mm-hmm. who would have thought to do this? But I think it's a brilliant concept. Yeah, I've seen it at restaurants before. Have you really? Mm-hmm. Have you seen that? The sweet potato tempura roll. Yeah. So you've got the the. I mean, the outside is still fried because you have the flour and oil and, and baking powder and salt and pepper. So that's like your typical kind of. Um, make sure you dip something in and then fry it. Mm-hmm. Um, but then inside is just the sweet potato and avocado. And so by f- cooking in that way, the sweet potato gets softer and has a really nice texture inside there too. Let's talk about something that uh, people love to put on their bagels, uh, lox, mm-hmm. salmon. Uh, mm-hmm. that's, an- that's another one. Before I went plant-based, my wife and I <laughs> really enjoyed salmon. And we were like so many others who thought that it was healthy. Like, you know, it's the perfect brain food. Eh, it's turns out that's not necessarily not the case. Yeah. <laughs> um, there is a way to get creative and uh, replicate salmon. Talk yeah. to me about that one. Okay. So this one's a really fun one because it still looks like salmon locks, um, but you're using carrots instead. Okay. So if you take carrots, you don't have to peel them necessarily, but um, if you kind of cut them like a mandolin, like really thinly sliced or um, anyway, you just really want thinly sliced carrots just because salmon locks are also thin. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you can, I think you boil them and then you marinate them uh, with like liquid smoke and paprika, all sorts of flavors because you want that smoky essence from the lox. Yeah. Uh, and then you can cook it um, and use it as your your salmon replacement on a bagel with, you know, vegan cream cheese or whatever you want to put on there instead and capers. So it looks just like the traditional meal. That's awesome. Yeah. It's kind of That's fascinating. Awesome. Mm-hmm. You love to spend time in the kitchen. Um I had no idea that a carrot was such a versatile food Weird, until right? I went plant-based. Yep. So you're just talking about salmon. I didn't know that until uh-huh. prepping for this interview. Yeah. You can make a, a, a carrot dog. You can. It tastes can. just like a, a, a hot dog you would get at a ballpark. Who mm-hmm. knew? It's really fun. We have a recipe for it on our website, too. I mean, it's ridiculous. Have you, have you made the carrot dog? I've tasted it. Okay. Uh, someone made it for me. Okay. Ver- <laughs> it was so good. Yeah, right? I really liked it. I doubted it for years. I was like, that just does not sound good to me. But then when you have it, it's like, wow, that's amazing. It's, it's incredible, mm-hmm. right? Don't underestimate what food can do. No, <laughs> no. So let me tell you about my uncle. He was a commercial fisherman. I grew mm-hmm. up in uh, Norfolk, Virginia. That's how us natives say it. You may know it better as Norfolk, oh, yeah, Virginia, that one. <laughs> uh, down by Virginia Beach. Um, and um, he would go out for uh, weeks at a time, and he owned his own um, restaurant down there and commercial seafood dis- uh, distribution company called Hagen Seafood. And he would come home, and we would just have these enormous feasts. Mm-hmm. You know, salmon was, was some of it. Um, I mean, he would come home, literally, I think, with one of every fish in the ocean. Oh, my. Um, and as a little kid, I always thought that that was fascinating. You know, mm-hmm. now I, I see things a lot differently. But, you know, I'll tell you, the first inclination that I ever had to go plant-based happened after one of his particular trips. <laughs> and he came home, and he had caught shark uh, that one trip. And he oh. was very proud of this. And he put the head of the shark on top of the grill as he was grilling the meats. And here I am, like three years old, terrified yeah. and repulsed. Oh, man. And I, di- I did not like fish very much um, after that for a very long time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's scarring. I know. Yeah. I know. I it was had... years before, years before I would wow. eat, eat the fish again. That's crazy. I know. Random stories with Chuck Carroll. <laughs> uh, all right. What else? Okay. 
Here's a popular one. Mm -hmm. Whether or not you like seafood, a lot of people eat tuna. Like tuna is like almost its own food altogether, Mm -hmm. you know, because tuna salad, it's everywhere, right? Yeah, yeah. And you can also do that on a plant-based diet. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Tuna, Mm -hmm. in quotes. Help Mm -hmm. me out here. Mm -hmm. So the chickpea salad rolls, our recipe. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Tuna salad is something I grew up on. My mom would make that all the time from canned tuna. And I really liked it as a kid. Well, okay. When I first moved out, I really liked making it because it was quick and really yep. easy and cheap. Yep. Um, but then when I decided I didn't want to eat fish anymore, I was like, what do I do? And of course, legumes are the perfect swap for any animal protein. Mm-hmm. And chickpeas work really well in a salad. So if you use chickpeas instead of tuna um, and then still add in your favorite ingredients in a tuna salad, like I really like celery and grapes. Um, grapes? Yeah. Grapes cut in half makes it a little sweeter. Uh, the celery adds the crunch. Everyone makes tuna salad differently. And this recipe that we have on our website is not that one. But that's what I would replicate at home. Um, and like some sort of plant-based mayo, or you could use hummus instead if you really want to go different than your traditional um, tuna fish salad. There's so many spins you can do on this. But the idea is it's a cold salad that you can wrap up and make a, a roll out of it in like a, a lettuce leaf. Uh, and then if you want it to taste fishy, you could add, again, like seaweed um like sea vegetable seasonings mm-hmm. or kelp granules. Mm. Um, and that works really well. And then fresh dill, also a really good addition to a mock tuna salad. That sounds fancy. Mm-hmm. Kelp, kelp. What did you call it? Kelp granules? Yeah. I wow. finally bought them for the first time this year because they always seem like such a strange ingredient. But it's yeah. really fun to use. It's salty. It um, has iodine in it, which is really important for your thyroid. Right, right. Um, and so it's a really easy thing to just sprinkle on top of avocado toast or... Into your tuna salad, and mock tuna salad. Do you find that on the regular spice aisle? Like, I, I mean, mm. I've never gone looking for it, so I couldn't I couldn't yeah. even begin to tell you where in the world you would find it. It's where you would find the nori or, like, any kind of, um, like, Asian section. So, um, uh, like, if you're looking for soy sauce, it's probably around there. Pickled ginger. Like, you're picking up ingredients to make your own sushi. It's yeah. around there. Wow. Mm? Okay. Yeah. All right. So or there's you your homework online. for the week, boys and girls. Yep, yep. Help <laughs> granules. I yes. d- I, who knew? Yeah. Uh, that recipe is definitely on the website. I've got it printed out right in front of me. It That is a beautiful looking picture, too. It's pretty, and I you mean, can pack it. Really easy you to can. pack. So you're talking about rolling it. Uh, mm-hmm. This is on top of a bed of greens with uh, some diced tomatoes on top. Yeah, yeah. So you can put it on top of a salad, or you can wrap it in a big lettuce leaf or in an actual like flour tortilla if you wanted to. That's that's incredible. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we'll be linking off to that on the podcast page. So it's, it'll be a one-click shop for you there to, to find that. Um, that's awesome. Mm-hmm. My grandma used to make tuna salad for us all the time. And it was on – oh, God. And now, like, again, the thought of me, it just I, – I cringe. You know, tuna salad with uh, mayonnaise and mm-hmm. um, pickled relish, sweet, oh, sweet gross. relish. And uh, put that on white bread and then serve it with potato chips and baked beans and – that's that's what got me on my journey to 420 pounds. Uh, love you, Grandma. Uh, <laughs> all right. So uh, crab cakes. Let's mm-hmm. talk about crab cakes around here. Huge yeah, deal. Right? I hear that. The Chesapeake area. Yeah. I mean, we are ride or die. Baltimore is right up, right up the road, less than True. an hour away. And that is the East Coast crab capital of the world. Mm-hmm. I think – that even the most discriminate of crab fan 
would be impressed with this oh, craft cake recipe that you brought today. That's exciting. Let's talk about it. Okay. So it's really trendy now to use hearts of palm and or artichokes to make a crab cake. I think because um, – it's a good question as to why. But um, they're similar in color. Uh, the texture is really smooth, mm-hmm. uh, similar to a crab, and then the crab meat. And then you can, like, chop them up a little bit and form them into patties. Uh, and then typically kind of create some sort of breading and hold it together, right. just like a crab cake. Right, right. Uh, so this one is pretty neat. Uh, it actually has corn flour as the breading, um, which makes it a little bit crispier. Uh, whereas I've seen other ones without as much of it, like without any breading, and then it's kind of soft and falls apart a little bit more. So it depends what kind of crab cake you like. But the other fun addition is Old Bay seasoning. People like that a lot around here. Oh, yes, they do. <laughs> so if that's a childhood favorite, then throw that into your Hearts of Palm crab cake. Oh, yeah. There you go. Now, Old Bay is a big thing. Was it? Did you, When did you get introduced to Old Bay? Uh, a couple of years ago, I went to this festival called the Rooting D.C. Forum or something but all about gardening. Here. Yeah, and some there's a local sauerkraut company that used Old Bay in their sauerkraut, and that's how I started liking sauerkraut. I hated actually, it before that. I actually, bet so that was pretty good. It was amazing. Sauerkraut I think they're called Sweet Bay. Farms, if I remember correctly. Wow, I never thought about pairing those two. Mm-hmm. That's pretty cool. Yeah, that'd all be right. good on top of a crab cake, too. Oh, my God. Like, I got, man, all right. <laughs> I know what I'm doing this weekend. Um, important caveat here, the recipe that we will link off, the one that we're kind of basing this conversation off of, and really, most crab cakes out there, it calls for pan frying and oil. I assume you can bake these mm-hmm. as well. Yeah, you could bake them. You could probably air fry them. We oh, talked about this yeah. before. Yep. Let mm-hmm. me tell you something. The air fryer at the Carroll household, clutch. I've been using mine more since I've been on this podcast with you, yeah. and I just did tofu recently. It's amazing. It yeah. is pretty incredible. Yep. I think that every plant-based kitchen uh, needs an air fryer. <laughs> um, and, and the amount of oil that you save is like, it's significant. S- Silly. Yep, yep. Silly, silly, silly. Uh, so we already talked about smoked salmon. That's cool. Uh, mm-hmm. There's a a lobster mushroom bisque that you put yeah. on here, too. This is interesting. Okay, so a year ago I went to the farmer's market in Falls Church here, and there's this mushroom vendor, and I saw red mushrooms sitting there, which I've never seen a bright red mushroom ever. Mm-hmm. I was like, what is this? And, and they told me it's a lobster mushroom, and it smelled like fish. It was so wait, funny. Wait, wait, like, wait. What? Like, did it come out of the ground like this? Mm-hmm. No. Yeah, Google it. It's really interesting. Um, so you can use it in your soup to make a bisque. Uh, this recipe that I had looked at uses cashews to make it creamy. And then the mushrooms, it uses the dried mushroom for this recipe. Um, and then you just rehydrate it and put it on top um, for your pieces of little lobster bisque mushrooms. That. Mm-hmm. is crazy time. It is crazy. Yeah, mind blown. So I mean, I thought that the mushroom peaked with the portobello. But I know. No, we've, we've got lobster mushrooms. Yeah. Like, how red are we talking? Seriously. Like, like stop sign red? Not, yeah, pretty close, but more orangey. Okay. Yeah, it's wow. weird. It, like, will catch your eye at a farmer's market. So mushrooms in general are pretty amazing because you have the, the lobster mushroom, you have an oyster mushroom, which also can be used to make replace oysters. Yeah. Um, and then the shiitake one we talked about in the seaweed. Yeah. Uh, I think there might be one other one, maybe a trumpet mushroom or something. It can be kind of weird in that. Trumpet mushroom. Yeah. I don't mm. know enough about it, though. Mm. So. You can find that in the brass section of the grocery store. 
Hi-oh. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> all right. Uh, as always, the last time you were here, we were talking about bacon, fake and bacon, essentially. Yeah. Um, and of course, you can go to great lengths and make some pretty amazing bacon yourself at home. Yep. But if you're in a pinch and you really want it, there are some store-bought options out there. Mm-hmm. The same goes for fish. Right. What yes. Are, what uh, What are a couple uh, brands <clears throat> that you know of? Okay. So on the lines of bacon, uh, a friend, a coworker of mine actually told me that Tofurky makes a smoky bacon. Oh. And instead of – so she thinks it reminds her of blackened fish, which I've never had before in my life. But that was a good reminiscent of her for the blackened okay. fish. Um, but – to come, there's a new product coming out by Good Catch Foods. It's a tuna replacement. It looks like tuna. It's a blend of different five different legumes, like peas and maybe fava beans and chickpeas, a couple others, um, and with garlic and seaweed flavors added to it. I don't remember the exact um, ingredient. But anyway, it's coming out this year, sometime in 2019. Uh, I'm really excited about it. It's low in fat. Um, you can recognize all the ingredients, and it should be really fun. I'm looking forward to that. Bean-based, not mm-hmm. hearts of palm like the other tuna salad. Mm-mm. Interesting. It's legumes, all the peas, all that good stuff. Um, so that's a good one to look out for. But otherwise, unfortunately, most of the things on the market right now are just really high in fat or super highly processed. Right. And I think that that's also something that, you know, we we should talk about a little bit here is that I think as the – vegan uh, diet becomes increasingly popular. You're seeing more and more of these processed foods that are, yes, indeed, they're Mm plant-based, no animal or or dairy products in there, but still loaded with with fat and and Mm -hmm. oil, you know? So I think that no matter what diet you're on, it's really important that you scrutinize the ingredients list and and take a look at that nutrition label. Yeah, absolutely. And I certainly want to encourage people to look for swaps and substitutes um, because of the health risks of eating fish. Uh, whether it's cholesterol, saturated fat, mercury, all sorts of things sure, like that. Sure, Not helpful. Sure, absolutely. And you actually told me something right before we started taping that I found really interesting about mm-hmm. cholesterol and shrimp. Yeah, so shrimp, ounce per ounce compared to steak, has twice the amount of cholesterol. Really? It's crazy, right? I, I mean, would have never thought. They're bottom feeders, so. Is that what so. it is? I think that's what it is. Um, but yeah, they're they're not really low on the cholesterol scheme. I mean, who... See, that that to me is just mind-blowing. I mm-hmm. would have never thought – I mean, I guess it kind of makes sense. But at the same time, I don't think that the average person is going to say, hey, I'm eating this popcorn shrimp. It's going to jack up my cholesterol. Yeah, nobody thinks about that. They know red meat for sure. Right. But nobody thinks about shrimp or seafood in general. See, that that's the so. knowledge that you bring to the table, Thank Maggie. Thank you. I'm like, glad. That's <laughs> awesome. Uh, that's why I love that you're here. Um, I also wanted to ask you real quick about your pitch, uh, opinion on uh, fish oil supplements – Mm-hmm. Um, and I know that there's concern about contaminants in there. Right. So fish oil supplements don't have the contaminants like mercury that would be found in the tissue of, of fish. And then would, if you ate that, would be in your tissue for a long period of time. Um, so people think, oh, I'll take the fish oil supplement so I don't have these contaminants. Um, however, there's been a number of studies that don't show that the supplement is actually all that helpful um, for heart health or Alzheimer's. And that's why people often take it. Um, so you can get your omega-3s from walnuts, chia seeds, flax seeds, seaweed. Yeah. Um, there's also algae-based supplements I've seen, too. I, I'm not sure how effective those ones are. But, again, using a fish oil supplement isn't necessarily worth your money. It's just not, not, not going to do it. Um, 
And you mentioned Mercury. Uh, I mm-hmm. think um, that's something that we should also revisit uh, really quickly because that that does have some contaminants in it. There, you know, that's yeah. that's not something that uh, you really want to ingest too much of. What what are some of the risks associated with mercury right. ingestion? So mercury is not good for your heart or your brain or your blood sugar management. Um, so we have different fact sheets on PCRM.org, and there's one about fish in particular, so you can read more about it there. Um, but the, the challenge with mercury, too, is that it stays in your body for a long period of time. Um, really? Mm-hmm. And it's definitely not good for someone who's pregnant to be consuming it. Interesting. So, And that's found in basically every fish ever? I don't know. I'm not sure. I would imagine quite a f- quite most fish do have it, um, but I don't know enough about our seafood out there yeah. to know. <laughs> yeah. All right. Yeah. Well, that is that is really interesting. Uh, you, I mean, I feel like we should just do a, a cooking show together because you know so much about food. That is your background. That is your passion. Um, and you always come up with these wonderful things like the okay. lobster mushroom. Like I, honest to God, woke up mm-hmm. this morning and did not know that it existed. So thank you for bringing that to my attention. You're welcome. I'm glad my exploring can widen your horizon <laughs> well keep exploring you know i, I want to talk about your food adventures um, okay because they, they are quite adventurous man and it's fun you know like mm-hmm. that's the cool thing about this diet i've said it time and again on this show is like you get so creative in the kitchen mm-hmm. almost by necessity yeah. but you learn to love it you absolutely learn to love it yeah super fun you you are super fun, Maggie Viola. <laughs> Thanks, um, And you are also a very real person, not just somebody here on this podcast. If you are in the Washington, D.C. area, you are available to see patients up at the Barnard Medical Center, mm-hmm. correct? You got it. Set up an appointment at barnardmedical.org. You got it. All right. She's very real. She will see you. She will talk to you about fish and your diet and all sorts of other fun things, right? It's going to be great. You're the best. <laughs> Maggie Neola, thanks for coming in. Thank you. So who's hungry? Show of hands. We're going to post links to lots of those recipes in the show notes if you're listening to Apple Podcast, or you can simply head over to pcrm.org slash podcast and find them listed on the page for this very episode. So thank you, Maggie Neola, for enlightening all of us and bringing that yummy, yummy deliciousness to the table. Speaking of Apple Podcast. Have you subscribed to The Exam Room? Hmm, Have you? New episodes go up each and every week. They're full of hope and inspiration. And like this week, they're also full of a whole lot of information. All of it on The Exam Room Podcast brought to you by the Physicians Committee. So please go ahead and subscribe now and leave us a five-star rating if you would be so kind. We're not just available on Apple Podcasts. We're also on Spotify and Shoutcast and wherever you download your favorite shows. We greatly appreciate your support. One more time, also, we greatly appreciate the Gregory J. Ryder Memorial Fund for their support of the exam room. Such an incredible fund doing truly exceptional work. The fund supports organizations that carry on Greg Ryder's passion and his love for animals through rescue efforts and veganism and wildlife conservation so many ways. Visit GregoryRiderFund.org. That's Gregory, R-E-I-T-E-R, Fund.org to learn more about Greg's story or about animal issues. And while you're there, you can also subscribe to the fund's newsletter. You can also find a link to their website on the podcast site for the exam room or simply scroll on down in the show notes. 
Before I go, I want to share with you, seriously, I want to share with you the results of a highly, highly, highly unscientific poll that I ran on Twitter recently at Chuck Carroll WLC. I asked exam room listeners, if you could only eat one fruit for the rest of your life, what would it be? What would that fruit be? I then listed the top three fruits in the U.S. and I threw in pineapple just because, well, pineapple's delicious. Put them all up there as choices and then asked you to vote. And you all, you went bananas for bananas. Bananas, the runaway winner, honestly, followed by apples. They were in a distant second and then grapes and my beloved pineapple. It finished last. So how does that sound to you? Is banana the number one fruit? I know that a lot of you also wrote in, didn't say, you know, hey, we, we want write-in answers, but unsolicited. You, you guys are also very passionate about mango. So what is the most popular fruit? Is that the right one? Is it bananas? Is it mangoes? Could my pineapple be underrepresented? I don't know. What's your favorite? I don't know. Maybe, maybe it was bananas because they're good in so many recipes and smoothies. And heck, you can even just put a banana in your bag and go. It's an easy snack. But is the banana truly king of the fruits? I don't know about that one. I just don't know. <laughs> My thanks again to Dr. Neil Barnard and Maggie Neola for joining me on the show this week. And next week, I got to tell you, you are in for a treat. We are going to be taste testing at the Grand Hyatt Hotel right before the big international conference on nutrition and medicine, getting a special preview of what it is they're going to be serving up there. The food it's going to be amazing. Plus, Dr. Barnard, he's going to be back on the show with a whole lot more. So make sure that you subscribe to the Exam Room Podcast and tell a friend about it, too. Then be sure to use promo code NutritionRx to save 20% on admission to the entire conference. Hop over to PCRM.org slash ICNM to sign up right now. Mark your calendar, July 26th and 27th, with a special preview day covering the basics of the plant-based diet. Special preview day on July 25th. So you're looking at the 25th through the 27th of July, and we really hope to see you there. And I hope that you enjoyed today's show as well. So for everyone here at the Physicians Committee, I am the weight loss champion, Chuck Carroll. Thank you so very much for listening. And remember, keep it plant-based. Mm-hmm.